As we've already been singing this morning, you all are very aware that it is Palm Sunday, and we have been on a journey, a Lenten journey, that began back in February at Ash Wednesday, and now we have come to the first Sunday of what is often um, called Holy Week in the, on the, in the Christian calendar, where we look at the last week of the life of Jesus. And so today is Palm Sunday where Jesus is celebrated as he triumphantly comes into Jerusalem. And we've already waved palm branches, just kind of as a symbol of welcoming um, Jesus. And then as we move throughout the, through this week, we will come to Good Friday. We will be hosting a worship service, a, a somber service here in our um, sanctuary on Friday at 10 o'clock. And you all are invited. In that service, we will pause and we will stop and we will remember the supreme sacrifice of Jesus through his death. And then we will wait for three days. Almost everyone knows um, the story of Easter, of the resurrection. And that's where we usually want to rush towards, is the resurrection, is the celebration. And even on these Sundays that build up to this, I want us to sing those resurrection songs. I want us to joyfully celebrate, and it's hard to kind of hold back and wait in what I call the shadow of the cross, where we pause and we remember, and even the weight of my own sin has been heavy over these last 40 days as I've waited towards um, Easter Sunday. So today we are going to look at the cross and hopefully find an anchor for our souls through this message today. We're all going to come to a place in life where it hurts pretty deeply. Even with Pastor Johnny in the pastoral prayer this morning, oftentimes you will hear those stories or those prayers being prayed during that time of pastoral prayer of the shepherding prayer. Because we know that so many in our congregation and so many in our personal lives and in our friendships, people are waiting for some kind of hope and some kind of release because we all encounter these really difficult places in our life. And I'm not talking about the little bumps of life, you know, like the neighborhood speed bumps. They're annoying, but they don't really slow you down that much. Sometimes your car will bottom out because you actually didn't slow down (laughs) enough to catch that little bump. But I'm talking about these huge potholes of life that when you encounter them, it feels like it's more than you can bear. I wish that um, we had some simple solutions like bumper stickers. Um, I don't see as many bumper stickers in Canada, but in the States, these things are wildly popular, particularly in the South where I grew up in Texas. There are all these kinds of little Christian bumper stickers. And so I wish that we had some simple solutions and slogans like these here on the slide. Look at these. Relax. God is in control. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just zing that out and like it would be all done? Or life is short. Pray hard. Keep the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Smile, Jesus loves you. Wouldn't that be nice to have such concise, simple answers to some of these big problems that we face? The truth is we don't know how to respond to everything when it comes our way. And simple slogans won't necessarily resolve these issues that in our lives. And when we become a Christian, we don't instantly get this diagram that teaches us how to navigate all of these difficult places in life. We don't just begin to read the Bible and follow God and suddenly all of life opens up and we're on easy street. Scripture actually even affirms this in John 16, 33. 
it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's stop and look at this verse um, for a moment. Jesus is actually about to be crucified when he shares these words. And he says, I have told you these things. You can see it right there in the first line of that scripture on the slide. I have told you these things. So what are these things from which Jesus is speaking? We have some hints if we go back to the earlier chapters there in John, John 14 and 15. So some of the things that he is speaking about, we find clues to that from the previous chapters. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You cannot do anything unless you abide in me. He also says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And as much as the Father loves me, in the same way I love you. He also tells us that he's about to go away, but he's going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he's not just going to be with you as Jesus was with them, but he says that he's going to send a comforter to live inside of you. So those are some pretty hopeful messages that Jesus says. He says, I have told you some of these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus says, tells us where we can have this peace. Where is it? Right there in the second line. We can have peace in Jesus. And he says, you can have it. Sometimes I feel like peace eludes me. And I'm like, I don't even know where I can find peace. And Jesus tells us very plainly, I've told you all of these things so that in me, in my presence, you can actually take ownership. You can have peace. You can take possession of it. So again, peace is not found just by being in church, having a Bible, or espousing to a certain set of religious beliefs. He says it is found in a relationship with me. In essence, when my life and your life are the same, when you can immerse your reality in my reality, then you can have peace. So why is it good news that we might know where peace is found? Again, that scripture says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this verse, there are two contrasting realities. It's a a reality of a coming kingdom versus a present reality. So we all know that in the coming kingdom, we're all going to have peace. When we we get to heaven, that, that peace is promised to us. But Jesus says, even in this present reality, in the time from which we are living right at this very moment, we can have peace. In our present reality, frankly, our lives are falling apart because we are corrupted by sin. But Jesus says, even in this present reality, you can have peace, but we will also have trouble. He warns his followers, actually, by saying, trouble is coming. In this world, you will have trouble. What's coming? Trouble is coming. So anyone here today understand what trouble is? I bet if we were to go around and interview um, you in your seat this morning, you could testify, you could share uh, about real faith-shaking trouble. I'm not talking about the trouble where you misplaced your keys and you can't get to your appointment on time because you couldn't find your keys or you and your spouse had an argument on the way to church this morning. I'm talking about huge faith 
shaking trouble that causes you to say, I don't even know if there's a God. It's when darkness closes in around you and you feel like you're about to suffocate and you can find no conclusion that gives you any satisfaction. It's that kind of trouble that comes when it almost snuffs you out. But this is why there is good news that you know where peace is found. Because trouble is coming. God is powerful, but in this world you will have trouble. So again, two realities are at play here. Scripture says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Again, this is not some bumper sticker reality. Honk if you take heart. (laughs) This is Jesus saying, do not despair, but hold on. Do not lose sight. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. No matter what comes, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. He is saying in time and outside time, all the time, no matter what's going on, there are two overlapping realities. Trouble and an overcoming Savior. Those two realities are always at play. Trouble and an overcoming um, Savior. And they are true both at the same time. You can't separate these two. If you do separate them, you get two really bad theologies. The first theology says, life is hard. Stuff happens. I can't do anything about it. My life is just left to some random force. And I have no control over what comes my way. That's the first um, theology that, that when you separate it out, the theology of trouble versus the second viewpoint goes like this. God is for us and I'm a Christian so I say no to trouble. Nothing's going to come my way and I, I fortify myself and say I'm in this little Christian bubble and nothing can touch me. I don't accept it and I don't receive it. Both apart from each other actually are terrible theologies and they don't work. Put them together, you start entering in to what Jesus is talking about. Trouble comes, life hurts, but inside of that, God is always at work. And we are not exempt as followers of Jesus. We will have hardship, but we can have confidence in Jesus. And we can say that in all things, through all times, I believe in a Savior who has overcome So difficult things will happen and the bottom will follow out. Guaranteed. Trouble is coming. Um, But the question is, where do you turn when hard things happen? Many of you um, heard um, Gracia Burnham speak at Missions Fest um, back in February. She and her husband were missionaries in the Philippines with New Tribes Mission. And in 2001, she and her husband were kidnapped and held hostage in the jungle by um, Muslim militants um, in the Philippines. And um, I was really um, taken by her story, and so I checked her book that she has written called In the Presence of My Enemies out from the library. I just recently read the story of that ordeal of her in the jungle. And just as a way to introduce her story, I'm going to have our um, media team play like a 90-second clip, and then you can get a broad overview of, of their story, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. All right. 
This is the time when you take out your palm fronds and begin... The Burnhams, missionaries in the Philippines since 1986, had been celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary at this island resort when Abu Sayyaf guerrillas burst in, herding them into boats. After five days at sea, they landed on Basilon. They then moved constantly with little food, dodging army patrols, escape seemingly impossible. Every little thing we got, every drink of water, every meal was a direct answer to prayer because when you've got nothing, you've got nothing. The masked men were Abu Sayyaf, a militant Muslim terrorist group with ties to Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. On the afternoon of June 7th, over a year since their abduction, the bullets erupted once more. Martin Burnham was killed during a rescue attempt by the Philippine Army, but his wife, Gracia, survived. Family members say that during Martin's final hours, both he and Gracia had a sense that they might not make it out alive. I learned a lot about the Lord, and it'll be there. Um, we weren't heroes. We're not going to look real great. Uh, but hopefully, God's going to look great. As I mentioned, um, she was one of the speakers at Missions Fest this last year, and obviously a very horrific story of being um, taken hostage and Obviously, I've not ever lived under that kind of um, difficulty or experienced trouble like that. But I want to read you an um, excerpt from her book about the struggle that she um, comes to. And this, she writes this piece only about three months into their captivity. She says, as time went on without proper sleep, my emotional state continued to deteriorate. It was our tenth, tenth week in captivity, the time I had set in my own mind for our release back on the speedboat. Worst case scenario, we'll spend the summer with these guys and be out by the time the kids go back to school, I had told myself. Now August was nearly here, and I could see no hope for progress. These feelings of despair were overwhelming. I could hear Satan laughing at me, saying, You trust in the Lord, but you're still here. I found myself beginning to believe Satan's lies. Sometimes Martin would come and sit with me by the river. He'd, see, he'd say, I just hate to see you giving up your faith like this. Oh, I'm not giving up my faith, I'd tell him. I still believe that God made the world. He sent his son Jesus, and Jesus died for me. I haven't given up my faith. I'm just choosing not to believe the part about God loving me. Because God's not coming through. It seems to me that you either believe it all or else you don't believe at all, was Martin's gentle reply. I was really mad at God, and after about three days of living with this torment, I was totally miserable. One day as I was sitting at the river, I thought about some of the things Martin had said. I realized that my depression and anger against God weren't doing anything to make our situation more bearable. In fact, they were only making it worse, for me as well as everyone around me. I knew that I had a choice. I could give in to my resentment and allow it to dig me into a deeper and deeper hole, both physiologically and emotionally, or I could choose to believe that what God's word says to be true, whether I felt like it or not. This was the turning point for me. It was this, as if God were saying to me, if you're going to believe that I died for you, why not believe that I love you? 
Why don't you let me put my arms around you and love you? And I did. I simply gave in and handed all my pain and anger over to the Lord right then and there. I didn't have a Bible or anyone but Martin encouraging me. But from that day on, the Lord somehow let me know in my spirit that he was faithful. So that's Gracia Burnham's story of where she turned to when life hurts most and when the bottom was falling out in her world. But that's okay to be able to read these stories of faith from other people, but where do you turn when life hurts most? As believers, we have this hope, and we should be able to turn to the cross and be able to see God's work of redemption on our behalf. So it is to the cross of Jesus Christ that we should be turning towards. The cross is the centerpiece of the story of God. It is the core of the Christian journey. The cross is everything. In Hebrews six nineteen and 20, we are reminded, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. In that scripture, it talks about entering into this inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And that's an Old Testament reference of um, the priest, the tabernacle. And God's people could only atone for their sins one time a year. And that had to be done through a priest. Only a select priest could enter in behind the curtain into this inner sanctuary, which is called the Holy of Holies. And he had to take a perfect, unblemished animal... Um, to be sacrificed. It had to be a blood sacrifice laid upon the altar. And so you see this reference here of Jesus. It's a New Testament reference that Jesus enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain on our behalf. He gave a blood sacrifice through his life on the death of the cross. So we have this hope of a relationship with Jesus as an anchor For our soul. What a beautiful word picture that is. That Jesus who has entered on our behalf. And it's the work of salvation through the cross is what anchors our soul. And this is where we have to focus when life hurts most. It's going to our place of hurt and saying, I may get shipwrecked here. I may get tossed overboard. I fear that I'm going to drown in this. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I need something that's going to anchor into the bedrock and steady my life. And to help me believe that I am firm and secure. It's not just something that gets you into heaven. It is an anchor for the soul for eternity And heaven and for all of the life steps here presently. For all of your steps of life. This is a message of hope. So why should we look at the cross as an anchor for the soul when our life hurts most? I want us to consider four different things here. First of all, it is at the cross where we see that God loves us. Our very natural inclination is that when things begin to get out of control and chaos and despair closes in on us, often one of our first assumptions is, well, God must not love me if these hard things are coming into my life. 
And the only way around these types of thoughts is actually to get just kind of what I would say, eyeball to eyeball with Jesus and to let the love of God sink in. This is what Gracia Burnham did. Do you remember what I read just a moment ago? She said, this was the turning point for me. It was if God were saying to me, if you're going to believe that I died for you, why not believe that I love you? Why don't you let me put my arms around you and love you? Get your eyes on the cross because when you focus there, you will begin to realize the immense, enormous, unbelievable love that Jesus has for you. It actually might not help you make sense of the circumstances that are going on in your life, but it will allow you to know that Jesus unconditionally loves you and that he has your circumstances under control because of the cross. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for us. That is a beautiful story of the love of God. When we look at the cross, we also find that God allows freedom, but he maintains control. Frankly, I don't understand this. These two, that he allows freedom and he maintains control. At the cross, men crucified Jesus. In Acts 2.23 it says, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus was crucified at the hands of wicked men. And frankly, it looks like chaos. That these angry men have decided to crucify Jesus and that God has lost all control. Did men make choices? Yes. But was God in control? Yes. Somehow, God allows freedom and he maintains control. And I explain how that works. But God is always in control in spite of freedom that is allowed. Because as I just read in that verse in Acts 2.23, it says, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God knew what was going to happen. Yet, the the wickedness, the angriness kind of mushroomed out of control and Jesus was crucified. God is always in control in spite of freedom that is allowed. And yet, because of freedom in this world, there will be all kinds of chaos and trouble. God will eventually stop all of this craziness. That is the good news on the other side of earth. God will stop all of this craziness. But for now... It is trouble and an overcoming Jesus in the same window of time. Thirdly, God can use the worst for eternal good. When we get to Good Friday and we're um, looking at the death of Jesus, what are we to think when we just isolate Good Friday by itself? I think we would be blind to think that Jesus was a sham and a joke and everything was out of control. We would consider that to be the worst case possible scenario, that the Son of God would be stripped naked and beaten and left for dead. We, however, the good news is we're not standing and looking at the cross on Good Friday. We know the rest of the story. In Acts 2.24 it says, But God raised him from the dead, Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible 
for death to keep its hold on him. And from my vantage point, and from your vantage point, the cross of Jesus is the most beautiful thing that we have ever seen. And when we know, when we, when the bottom falls out, when you face all kinds of trouble, we know that some, God can make something beautiful out of that. And then lastly, God paints on a canvas bigger than we can see or understand. We need to see our trouble as part of a larger mosaic. Fortunately, Gracia Barnum's story didn't end at the death of her husband in June of 2001 in the jungle when she was rescued. Twelve years since her release, she has written two books. She's been able to speak to thousands upon thousands of people about the hope of Jesus. She established a foundation that's given over half a million dollars to ministries worldwide. And that same foundation has been able to fund projects inside of a maximum security prison in the Philippines where some 23 Abisayef members are being held as prisoners there. And they've been able to print literature into their dialects. And they've been able to help them meet some of the physical needs that some of the prisoners have. And praise God, three of those former Abisayef members have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Could Gracia Burnham begin to even fathom that there could be hope after that horrible ordeal at the end of her rescue and at the loss of her husband? My guess is no. And yet, God paints on a canvas bigger than we can see or understand. And many of us will have no idea what our pain and suffering on earth. We may never actually get to see the larger picture on this side of heaven. But we have to trust that God loves us, that he um, uses these situations for his internal good, that he's allowing freedom and yet he is maintaining control, and that he paints on a canvas that is bigger than, than we can see or understand. So when our circumstances seem to fold in on us and we want to lose hope, my challenge to us as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would look to the cross. And this week of this journey from Palm Sunday to Easter, it is my prayer that you will take time, set aside time this week, and to realize this tremendous sacrifice that God has made on our behalf. Let it be an anchor for your soul, firm and secure, except that he is in control Accept that he is working things out for your eternal good. Accept that he loves you. Let's pray. Father God, we are humbled by the gift of your son Jesus. We are humbled that he walked in obedience and faced the cross, knowing that it would be cruel and it would hurt and people would mock him and he would be left to the hands of angry men. God, I thank you for the sacrifice that you have given us and for life that it brings us. And God, I do pray for brothers and sisters who are walking through 
life-shattering circumstances right now. And God, for those who have lost hope and they feel like they're about to be overwhelmed by this bleakness and despair, God, would you cause us to turn to you and to look to you and to be strengthened, God, as we look at the cross, knowing that you love us and that you are working things out for your eternal good. God, restore hope where that has been lost. May we know you, Jesus, as an anchor for our soul. As an anchor that goes into the bedrock of our lives. As an anchor that holds us secure, God, when we feel very weak and very frail. And so, God, we continue to worship you and to celebrate you. And to release, God, more of ourselves into your reality. And, God, again, I thank you that we have this hope. And his name is Jesus. Thank you. Amen.